We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The stage is set for Oregon football. The Ducks have earned their rematch with the Washington Huskies as a rivalry takes center stage in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 title game. We're previewing that game and predicting the final score on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and we are super excited to be coming at you with another episode of the pod. It is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. And joining me on today's episode, I have a very special guest, the publisher of Inside the Huskies, the Washington Huskies Fan Nation Sports Illustrated channel. We got Dan Rayleigh. How you doing, Dan? Thanks for being here. Hi, Max. This is pretty much a professional operation. I I should have put on a tuxedo or something. <laughs> I, I do the best I can. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, about this game and love doing the podcast on, on YouTube and, and getting it out in uh, the podcasting realm. So we haven't done one of these since I lived in Eugene. Now I'm in Long Beach. We didn't get to do this the first time these two teams played. I was actually in Europe for my best friend's wedding. So I definitely wanted to take the opportunity to collaborate with you and and bring you on for a, a Husky perspective on things, seeing that you're in Seattle, boots on the ground. So kind of, yeah, what we were going to do is, is preview this game, talk some key players and uh, keys to the game type of deal, if you will. But just to start here, Dan, what is your what is your feeling kind of going into this game, whether that's you personally or kind of bringing in the the Husky fan base? Well, Max, I don't know if you remember from our previous conversations, but for uh, I started with another guy from Oregon. We started working on a book on the Oregon-Washington football yes. rivalry. So I know this rivalry upside down and backwards and frontwards, and this might be the biggest game of all, you know, of, of everyone that's ever been played. Certainly they've never been ranked like this and uh, they've never had probably talent like this, at least at the quarterback spot. So, I mean, it's a huge game. It's uh, I couldn't, I'm going to pick a score for you, but if you, if you ask me to be really serious about this, I'm going, I don't know who's going to win. It, it's either that side or that side. They're that good. And um, I think 
I, we're going into this without uh, any really indication other than there's odd odds makers um, odds out there that gives Oregon a pretty huge lead, but I don't know what those guys know. Uh, Washington did win the first game. So uh, anything goes and it should be a perfect uh, atmosphere in Las Vegas to do something like this with the whole nation watching and with everything at stake from a college football playoff, which would be, you know, a long time coming for the ducks and a long time coming again for the Huskies. And so um, it's, it's a huge scenario and I'm, I'm fired up to go see it. I'm super fired up too. We were talking before we hit record. It'll be our first chance to meet in person. Um, I got, I think we've been doing this around the same time because I started in March of 21. Um, so this is our third, third season, I think, kind of working alongside each other, I want to say, in the, in the Pac-12. Yeah, I just hit my four-year anniversary. I started in, actually 2019 in November after the Oregon-Washington game. Um, they asked me to do it. I was still working, flying around the world for one of our favorite um, aerospace companies and, and uh, had, a, had a pretty interesting job there. But I picked up this, I, you know, I've been a sports writer most of my life. And so I, I had to get back into it. And I, and I did. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you did get back into it because uh, it gives me the chance to bring you on my podcast and, and kind of pick your brain about the Huskies and just everything with this matchup. So let's, let's get into it, Dan. Let's talk about this Oregon-Washington game. Uh, we know that Oregon and Washington are both coming off of rivalry wins with the Huskies uh, narrowly edging the Cougars in the Apple Cup and then uh, Oregon getting that big win over the Oregon State Beavers right before Jonathan Smith's departure to East Lansing to become the next Michigan State head coach. So I think let's start with the quarterbacks because Bo Nix and Michael Penix are both having themselves a heck of a season, uh, both in the in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Seems like Nix might have the edge right now just based on the latest odds and all of that, but I'd love to just start there if we could. What are your thoughts on, on Michael Penix and this uh, Husky offense? Well, it's it's been high-powered all season, but it's tailed off just a little bit in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, one reason, they played in a monsoon in Corvallis. They played in a windstorm against Arizona State in uh, the in Husky Stadium. And, and then uh, Penix has been sick for about a month and just playing, you know, through it. And he hasn't been as accurate throwing the football, but he's still been pretty good because they haven't lost a football game yet. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I think I find myself, I just recorded another podcast before this. Like that's the thing that I find myself wrestling with a little bit, Dan, is like, if you're looking at how these two teams have played since that matchup in October, it seems pretty evident that Oregon's playing the better football, but you can't take anything away from Washington. They, they pulled it off 12 and 0 undefeated regular season. And, and obviously Penix in the offense behind Ryan Grubb was a big part of that. Well, you know, from the first game that I remember, both secondaries got lit up. And, um, you know, I wasn't really impressed with either secondary. And um, so I think that's what it might come down to this time is who's more vulnerable in, in Garden against Penix and Knicks. And uh, that could probably decide it is, uh, you know, which cornerback falls down on a, on a long route or something like that. You know, Washington's got two cornerbacks. One is really, really good from Oklahoma State, and the other one's really vulnerable and gets – gets picked on every game. So, um, you know, we'll see who's looked at the tape close enough to see what the best weakness is. And I think it's probably attacking each secondary. So. I would find myself agreeing, especially with uh, the health of Oregon secondary right now. Isn't that a hundred percent? 
Jalil Florence is questionable, I feel like you could say, at the very best, perhaps even doubtful, seeing that he was not available for the Oregon State game and was seen on crutches at that game. Not typically something that you see a guy on crutches one week and then he's suiting up the next, but we got to see Dan Lanning didn't really show his cards as you would expect from a head coach when he was asked about that injury earlier on this week. So if the Ducks do need to turn to their depth, it's going to be guys like Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges, maybe a little bit of Nico Reed as well. But you, you talked about the secondary being big for Oregon, right? And kind of that matchup there. Um, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on Roma Dunze because he's one of the three finalists for the Bolitnikov. I know a lot of Oregon fans probably think that Troy Franklin got snubbed for the spectacular season that he's been having in his own right. But when we're talking about these Washington wide receivers, it really starts with Roma Dunze. He's a special talent. Yeah, well, getting back to Troy Franklin, you know, it's like, who picks these things? I mean, how do you how do you decide that Troy Franklin should not be one of the final three? Um, is it because you live in the South or on the East Coast? You know, why don't you have both Adunze and Franklin on this on this list? But that's what gets me. That's I used to be a, a voter on everything from the Heisman to the AP uh, t- top 25. And and I just see how subjective all of that is. And, you know, some guys pay for it. And Adunze, you know, paid for it last year when they started the season. Nobody gave him any kind of attention, recognition at all, because he played for a four and eight football team and that had no offense. So I knew he was pretty good. And I also knew he was going to pay for, you know, that, that uh, downturn of Husky football because they couldn't get the ball in his hands. And they're actually lucky that he stuck around and, and hung with the new coaching staff that came in. And, and he, you know, the new offense, uh, pass happy, wide open, high powered offense has been perfect for him. And he's also, he took it up a notch in making himself heavier and stronger. I think he, you know, I've kidded him that he's another DK Metcalf because he's, you know, he's six foot three, two fifteen, and DK Metcalf's about six three, two thirty-five, I think. And he liked that uh, that comparison. And he, you know, you can see that he can outfight guys for the football. I don't know if that was the case before. So, he, so he's a much more physical receiver, which makes him uh, suited for the NFL. So, so I think. Uh, yeah, nobody's been able to stop him lately. You know, if you just gear up on him, uh, you know, maybe double team him, things like that, uh, maybe that'll work. But, you know, he's got other wide receivers that are pretty good. So, Yeah, he's not the only one in that room. You got Jalen McMillan, who uh, I was talking with uh, Roman Tomashoff, uh, who, who you're obviously very familiar with on one of my previous podcasts. And it sounds like McMillan's going to be probably the healthiest he's been in a while. Uh, for the Huskies so that's big and you got Giles Jackson as well in the mix there Um, he had a touchdown in that first game between the Ducks and the Huskies so we know that Washington's going to be able to air that thing out at least that's their primary game plan I would think with a quarterback like that and and the skill talent at his disposal for this Oregon defense they're gonna have to try to get Penix out of the pocket and on the move a little bit um, I think he, he is an athletic quarterback, but I'm not sure I would describe him as entirely dual threat, or at least we haven't seen that part of his game too much this year. So we know he's at the most comfortable in the pocket. So they're going to need to get disruptive with guys like Brandon Dorless, Jordan Birch, and the like getting some pressure on Penix on Friday. Well, that would be true. But um, his situation is he doesn't run much because he got beat up pretty bad in the Big Ten. You know, he got injured four times and had four seasons end. And a couple of them, as I read, were cheap shots, guys tackling him while he was probably scrambling. So I think there's some limitations on him getting out and running. And if you get the heavy rush on him, like, you know, Oregon will probably, 
you know, push for. He'll just dump the ball off and get rid of it or, or, or try to find somebody short and get rid of it, you know, for a completion. But uh, he won't hold on to it too long. He doesn't take too many shots. He doesn't get sacked very often. And that's because he just they, – they go to great pains to protect him because he was just like a punching bag at Indiana for four years. And one question just since we're talking about Penix, I feel like it's been really strange, especially coming out of the Apple Cup, just you wonder, is he healthy? Is is he hurt? Is he sick? Because I think Ryan Grubb said he was under the weather and immediate availability earlier this week, but you're out there in Seattle, so I'm just going to throw it out to you. What's the deal with Michael Penix, to your understanding? Well, I've had all kinds of people contacting me trying to guess his situation. And, you know, they said, oh, this NFL scout saw him throw the football, and, and this is what he thinks, that he's got a shoulder problem. And another guy said, oh, I think he's got a rib problem. And and yet another guy just said, uh, you know, he's just lost his rhythm. And I, anyway, I to his face yesterday, he looked pretty good. He's, he's stuffed up, so he's got this cold or respiratory ailment that's hung with him for a month or, or so. I said, are you playing hurt? And he looked at me and just said no. And, you know, he's not going to tell me the truth if that's the case, but I asked him. So, um, because I'd heard all this stuff and I wrote a story that I'm going to use tomorrow that alludes to all of the conjecture over where is Michael Penix and, 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 you know, what's in his, what's going on in his head right now. Somebody said he might've had a panic attack at the end of the game. And that's why you wouldn't watch the final field goal. If you saw the Fox broadcast, I don't know that to be the truth, but that's what somebody has guessed. And, and so there's all this stuff going on. He's actually a really tough kid. And, um, you know, he'll be ready to play. I don't know if he'll be as accurate as he was the first time he played Oregon, but, um, you know, I think he'll be ready to play. I don't I don't think there'll be much difference in, in him. Just to talk a little bit more about this offense, Dan, I really enjoyed watching Dylan Johnson run the ball. Super tough runner. Uh, obviously had his, his marquee day and 256 yards against the Trojans. Um, I think that was earlier this month, maybe last month, but yeah, um, yeah. He, he's a talented back. What, what can you tell me about Dylan Johnson and just the Huskies' ability to run the ball? Well, I asked Dylan Johnson yesterday, I said, if Mike Leach was still with us, would you have made him proud? Because you're about 39 yards from becoming a 1,000-yard rusher. And the reason I asked that is because when he was at Mississippi State with the air raid, I don't think he ran for more than 448 yards in any one of his four seasons. He caught a lot of footballs, which he hasn't done at Washington, but he had – you know, very limited rushing yards. So it's kind of flipped since he's got into Seattle and he is, uh, you know, heads and tails over the other five, five running backs. And in that he's a, a more physical, tougher runner turning like two yard gains into seven yard gains. And then occasionally, you know, at, at USC he popped a couple of 40 yarders. So um, he's, he's as healthy as he's been. He takes a lot of pounding. Um, he's, he's a different running back for Washington than he was for Mississippi state. And to Oregon's credit, they've done a really good job defending the run this year. They've faced a lot of really good backfields, um, headlined by by Utah and, and Oregon State last week with, with Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick. Held Oregon State to a season low, I want to say, 53 rushing yards. And Marshawn Lloyd and the Trojans did a, a better job than I expected running the ball. But all that to say, Oregon is battle-tested uh, against uh, great rushing attacks. And I think it'd be foolish to say they're not battle-tested against great quarterbacks. Because they've played Penix, they've played Caleb Williams, they've played Cam Ward, um, and Shadour Sanders as well. Different scenario there because Colorado is is not well-rounded like some of the other teams that I mentioned. So 
I think Oregon's going to do a good job defending the run. It's just really going to come down to how well can they get after Penix and how well can they defend these elite wide receivers in Las Vegas. Yeah, well, you've got two football teams. One is unbeaten, and the other one is three points from being unbeaten. And I, I've, I ask you to, you know, find a, a closer matchup than that anywhere in the last couple of years in any any rivalry or any kind of championship game. Um, you know, it's it's almost like looking in the mirror. Washington looks in and sees Oregon, and Oregon the same thing. They both got great quarterbacks, great wide receivers. Um, you know, comparable defenses that seem to hold up and and things like that. So um, that's why this game is so interesting and, and and should be so well received by everyone in college football is because these teams are. Are, are real close. And so, I mean, I don't expect either one to blow either, either one out, but um, I just think it's going to be a close game. That's probably going to be decided at the end by somebody. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Talking with Dan Raley, publisher of Inside the Huskies, on a Wednesday afternoon previewing the Pac-12 title game between number three Washington and number five Oregon. We just got through talking a little bit about Washington's offense and Oregon's defense. Let's flip it now. Let's talk about the Oregon offense against the Washington defense because the talk of the town, Dan, has been Washington's offense for so much of the year. We just got through talking about some of Penix's struggles, um, how he you know, maybe hasn't been as hot as he was at the beginning of the year. And Washington's uh, defense, excuse me, has has been a big part of why they've been able to, you know, be undefeated. Well, the one thing with Washington's uh, defense is it's it's been pretty generous, you know, giving up a lot of points and a lot of yards, but it's absolutely owned the fourth quarter in all these games that they've played lately. You know, they got pushed all over the field by Arizona State of all teams and came back and, and shut them out um, in the second half and, and just absolutely held them down in the fourth quarter and won the game with a, what was it, an 89-yard interception return. The offense had nothing that day. So, you know, the defense has done its part in keeping them unbeaten. It it hasn't been anybody anything to scare anybody that, hey, we're just going to get dominated. And the, the one example I use here is I, I covered a national championship football team at Washington in 1991. That shows you how old I am. And those guys were defensive dominant. And and Washington is opposite right now with Penix. They're offensive dominant. But back in 91, the Husky defense was the dominant thing and, and didn't let anybody do anything. And they, their dominant player was Steve Entman, a, a huge pass rusher that went number one in the draft that year. But the stat that I use 
is that team in 12 games had 129 tackles for loss. This Husky team has 54. So this kind of shows you the difference in that national championship team. And they've tried to make up for it with offense, but they had real playmakers on defense 32 years ago and, and ran up tremendous amount of tackle TFLs and, and sacks and, and turnovers, interceptions and all that. And this one just kind of does what's needed. That's such an interesting comparison that that stat really was surprising uh, to hear. And, and I know that the, the Huskies have, uh, I think I would say a dude is kind of the, the terminology today, like a standout player, a really talented player at, at all three levels. You got Trice uh, in, in the trenches as a great pass rusher. Um, oh, I don't want to butcher his name. Is it, uh, it starts with a U, the linebacker. How do you say it? Edifuan Ulafosio. And there and you, you know go. What, you know what his, he's of Nigerian uh, ancestry, and you know what his last name means? What is it unafraid mean? of war, unafraid of war? How fitting is that? Yeah. <laughs> so so you have him at the linebacker spot, and then rounding it out, in my opinion, from my understanding, you have Jabbar Muhammad, the Oklahoma State transfer at cornerback, was just lights out all over the field in that Oregon State game, and um, that's those are kind of the main guys. With, with this Washington defense, from my understanding. Um, so I, I'd love to just kind of go through a little bit more, maybe just about those guys and, and, and what their importance is to this group. Well, yeah. Um, Trice has been double teamed, triple teamed. That's why his numbers are so far down, but he's been a, f- a force on every play. He's, he's just a relentless rusher and, and he disrupts everything, brings the quarterback out of the pocket. He has six sacks. Last year, he had probably double that. Um, he's, he's going to be maybe a first round draft pick. So he's somebody that everybody worries about on the second row. Eddie Ulafosio is, uh, been pretty, he's been pretty solid. He missed two years pretty much with injuries, you know, half of last year and half of the year before, but he covers a lot of ground in the football field and, and he's kind of their, you know, he's one of their captains and, and, uh, kind of keeps it all together. And then Muhammad is the big, the big addition because last year they got lit up by everybody. Everybody threw on them and threw deep on them. And, and he's kind of stopped some of that. He's got the great name Jabbar, Jabbar Muhammad, which he's named after two of the most famous athletes that have ever come through sport, meaning Abdul Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Muhammad Ali. If you didn't know that, but uh, he, he left Texas, uh, Oklahoma state and his hometown Texas, home state, Texas to come out to Washington because he wanted to play for somebody. Uh, I don't know if he got mixed up information, but he wanted to go to what he considered a cornerback school. And that's what it was under Jimmy Lake. I don't know if it's considered that now, you know, under Kalen DeBoer, but he came out here looking for, you know, a new place to play and see if he could get more, uh, more of a platform for what he does. And I think that's worked. I think he'll be here just this one year. He'll, he has another year of eligibility, but he's been the big difference because last year their secondary they were down to the fourth string secondary guys last year after the two guys went off to the NFL, meaning Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. And then the replacement starters got injured. The replacements for the replacement starters got injured. So then they were down to two guys that would typically have been fourth string guys had the NFL guys not left. So that's why they got lit up in those couple of games that they had and and we got tested and some others. So they fixed that a little bit. Okay. Okay. So we're getting a good feel for, for some of the studs on Washington's defense and, and Oregon's offense, Dan, they're as hot as anybody right now. Um, they're just putting up points in a hurry. They're explosive. 
I think for me, the, the real word that describes this offense is balance. They can take you, whether you're talking about running the ball down your throat or lighting you up through the air with guys like Troy Franklin. Tez Johnson is actually closing in on 1,000 receiving yards, so that would be a really special season for the Ducks to have both he and Troy Franklin eclipse the 1,000-yard mark, something that hasn't been done since Dylan Mitchell did it in 2018, uh, obviously prior to Troy Franklin doing it this year. So I'm going to be looking for Oregon to establish the run because the trenches are going to be incredibly important in this game, as you would expect. And I think that Bucky Irving has maybe not been struggling, but hasn't been maybe the star that we've been used to in the run game. But to his credit, he also can be a really effective receiver for Bo Nix out of the backfield. So I think that um, these groups definitely match up well. Oregon was able to put up, I think they've put up more than 30 points in every game this year. So we expect that to continue uh, against Washington on Friday. I'd agree with that. I think Washington, despite what you say about Bucky Irvin, uh, I think they're really worried about him because they, they would look at a matchup like this and say, well, well we're going to get our passing yards and our touchdowns. So Oregon's going to get theirs too. So, you know, that's a draw. Um, we we got to worry about if we give up too many rushing yards and, and, and scores to somebody like Irvin, who's, who's, you know, a fast little back and gave him a lot of trouble last season. And, um, so I think he's kind of crucial to, you know, at least the offensive side of this. He definitely is. He definitely is. And I think Oregon State did a good job of limiting the the rushing attack for Oregon. But um, just seeing the physicality that that offensive line has played with. And, Dan, I think that's been one of the biggest stories of the year for Oregon is just the play of that offensive line under Alik Terry, who came over from the Minnesota Vikings after serving as an assistant under Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal at Oregon previously. But I think that the play of the offensive line for Oregon has just been head and shoulders above, I think, what people could have expected given the change uh, in leadership with Adrian Clem going to the NFL and Vianney Telemai-Val going to Stanford. That was a almost completely new offensive line staff. So I think for for Oregon, the battle in the trenches is huge, and, and a big reason for their success has, has been Alik Terry. And you've also recruited well. You brought in guys, and you, you seem to keep replacing big-time blockers with big time blockers. I mean, Connerly is, you know, going to be an NFL player of some note when he's ready. And, and he, he's a, he's a big time player. And, and uh, the center, I, I'm trying to think he's the, got the hyphenated name with Johnson in it. Howard Johnson. He's your best guy and, and he's getting all the accolades and he'll be an NFL player. So yeah, it, you know, Nix has got the luxury of that. Just like Penix has got the luxury of, you know, some veteran guys keeping people off his back. So, um, but no, Oregon, especially in the last, you know, in their glory years here, they've done really well recruiting and bringing in guys in the trenches that are really good. Yeah, and I think it's been exciting because for a while, I think it was dominated by offensive linemen. Obviously, obviously Panay Sewell is the crown jewel of that, just kicking some butt with the Detroit Lions now, having an awesome NFL career after winning an Outland Trophy at Oregon. Um, and then you have Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive side, first-round pick. So we're seeing – we're seeing more high-end defensive talent coming in, certainly under Dan Lanning, even in this 2024 recruiting class. Um, but before we get to our score prediction, Dan, I want to circle back to a point you were saying earlier as we were kind of setting the stage for this game. You know this rivalry better than anybody I know. This is probably the most meaningful game that these two teams have ever played against each other. A Pac-12 title is on the line. A, a spot in the college football playoff is on the line, a potential Heisman trophy. I mean, what a setting and what a way to go out of the Pac-12. 
Yeah, it's nothing bigger. Nothing, nothing bigger at all. I mean, they used to think that Sunny Six Killer and Dan Fouts were huge Oregon Washington games, but those guys didn't have, you know, they had the quarterback profiles, but they didn't have the team profiles that these guys have. And they those guys weren't in the running for the Heisman because they weren't gonna vote, you know, a guy from Oregon or Washington into the Heisman trophy back then. They probably got some votes, but no, this thing has everything. And um you know, it's almost hard to write about it because you could go off in a hundred different tangents trying to figure out, you know, who's got the edge here and who's got the edge there. And, and uh, you know, you've got the funny thing, too, is this is going to be their third game in 13 months and 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 try and figure, you know, see another uh, college football scenario like that where they played almost three times, you know, just over a year. So, you know, they know each other about as well as anybody. And, and they're on the same tracks with these coaches coming in at the same time. So so everything is identical. I mean, you know, the the, the program development, which they didn't waste time either side. They, you know, they just the new coaches came in and just started winning. And and now, you know, they're they're trying to get in the college football playoff in, in the last one for that would would be through the Pac-12 Avenue. And and so it's uh this thing is you should have everyone excited without question. I'm super, super excited, and uh, it's it should be a great game on, on Friday. And getting to go to some of these Oregon-Washington games myself, um, the first one I went to was in 2014 when the Ducks still had Marcus Mariota, and that was a 45-20 to 20 win over Washington. And then uh, I was there last year when, uh, when the Ducks lost in heartbreaking fashion to the Huskies in Eugene. So I'm excited to get get my eyes on this matchup one last time as uh, Pac-12 members. And man, yeah, just you couldn't you couldn't draw up a better matchup. I think that's the better way, the best way you can put it. With everything on the line, with the seasons that all these players are having, it's just phenomenal. And I'm so grateful to be able to cover it. Well, and you know these programs, besides outside of the um, Lanning and and DeBoer eras, and and even beyond that. They've kind of mirrored, mirrored each other even even in a lot more ways. And the way I say that is, you know, Don James came in and Washington pounded Oregon. I mean, beat them 15 out of 18 games and, and gloated over all of that. And so you knew that karma was going to come back to bite them. And, and Oregon turned this thing around and and did something similar. And and so they beat, each beat each other up in similar ways in, in the last, you know, 40, 40 years or so. And, and so now it's almost like they're back to, you know, being close again instead of being one with real dominant. And I think that's the way it should be because this is, you know, one of the five top cross-state rivalries in the country. And um, now they're going to Nevada to, to, to settle it, <laughs> the, the championship of the Northwest and, and all of that other stuff we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, the, the stage is definitely set, but – Let's get to our score predictions here as we we wind down. Um, I'm going to let you take center stage and give us your prediction first and and obviously the reasoning behind it. Well, I again, I, I don't take a lot of stock in my my scores, my predictions, but I, I just threw it out there and thought, you know, I'd look silly if I picked against Washington. I think all the Oregon fans would think that too. So I picked 27-23, even though I do believe Oregon has as good a chance to win this game as Washington does. I don't see – any real distinctive advantage um, outside of Oregon's defense might be a little bit better than Washington's defense. But, you know, your wide receivers, your quarterback, your coaches are the same same year at the schools. Um, you know, the, this, the results are almost similar with outside of point differentials. 
but you know the records are almost identical. They're almost identical in the CFP rankings, the AP rankings, all the way down the board. I should have probably picked a one-point game, but I just somehow, out of the top of my head, for no particular reason, I picked 27-23. Yeah, that, that's it's funny that you say that because that's kind of how I start my prediction stories. Is I'll throw a score on the you know on the page, and then I'll I'll write kind of my thoughts, and then I'll get to the bottom and be like, how do I still feel about that? Is is kind of a, how I like to go about it, but. I definitely feel really confident in Oregon in this matchup, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, just kind of would feel funny to not pick them. But I think a lot of what you've seen transpire throughout the year, especially what you've seen from the Ducks since they lost to the Huskies uh, on Mont Lake earlier this year, I think Oregon has a whole lot of momentum, as does Washington. Uh, they got a stellar quarterback leading the way. They, I think they do have the edge when it comes to the defense even though they are possibly going to be shorthanded with Jaleel Florence's status up in the air. Um, but I think that uh, Washington hasn't looked like the same team uh, since they played Oregon. And I think that's one of the big reasons why I find myself going with the Ducks. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more confident that they might be able to create some separation in this game. I got Oregon 42, Washington 31 covering the spread. Fair enough. I think one thing you should remember, though, and, and everybody is so caught up in – Comparative scores, you know, how all oh, Washington barely beat Arizona State and the Ducks just stuffed Arizona State. Well, what everyone forgets is that all that matters is the matchup. And, and the matchup is so different with Washington playing Oregon than those two schools playing Arizona State or Washington State or USC. It, it means nothing really that Washington, you know, beat USC by 10 points. It's how they do against Oregon, how that matchup is against Oregon, who wins the trenches, who's the better quarterback. And that's what makes this matchup so good is nobody really knows. And, you know, the odds makers think they know. The Duck fans think they know. The Husky fans are convinced that they know. But nobody really knows. And it all depends on who's ready to play on Friday and who's not. And and I think it'll be so close that one little tiny screw-up is going to decide this whole thing. Might be an 11-point difference, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. No, I think, I mean, everything you said is, is definitely super valid. Um, and I think that we've seen sentiments like that from, from Landon himself when we were talking about um, the Utah matchup uh, in particular earlier this year, talking about how they never lose basically in Salt Lake. But he said that doesn't matter because those are all games in the past. And, and Oregon obviously went into Salt Lake and did what they did. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I still I still feel overall confident that Oregon's going to be able to get the job done. Um, we know it's hard to beat the same team twice in the same year. Um, I think that holds true for a lot of uh, a lot of games, but um, just wanted to get some of your final thoughts here, Dan, before we wrap up. Well, one thing that people have lost sight on too, because he's so kind of unassuming, is I think people don't realize how good a football coach that Kalen DeBoer is. You know, he walked into a four and eight program last year and turned it into eleven and two, and all he did was bring in a quarterback. I mean, he he just used what was left. Where you went down to USC and go down to Colorado, they ran everybody off and rebuilt the whole thing and did a massive teardown. He just came in and brought in his own quarterback, a few other people that, you know, weren't as necessary as the quarterback was. So I think, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, you got to go, you know, I like our chances because our quarterback's great, our team is great, but is there something about this DeBoer guy? I mean, should we be worried? Is he going to figure out a way to beat us with a lesser team or with a team just as good? Because he's 25, or he's 23 and 2. He's 100 and whatever, 111 and and seven, I, I can't quote that record for sure, but he's he's uh, got some kind of magical Midas touch. 
I think when he gets to the Big Ten, it might even out a little bit more because I think he's going to he's going to have to rebuild next year in a brand new league. But this game has got to have Oregon fans really confident, but yet concerned about the coach more than the players. Does this guy have a magic touch? Is this guy going to outthink us and outcoach us? Because um, I think he did last year in, in Eugene. You know, the Ducks had that game in hand and they got out of hand. And um, when that happens, you usually point to the coaches for that. So I'm super glad you brought up DeBork because I wanted to ask you about him. I just couldn't find the right time or the right way to do it. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Oregon fans aren't going to want to hear it. But as someone who covers the Ducks, you got to give a tip of the cap to DeBoer and the, the job that he's done over there in Seattle uh, to, to get Washington into this situation. Um, I mean, he almost beat Oregon when he was at Fresno State a couple years ago. I know the Duck fans got a scare from that one, but no, Dan, really awesome conversation. I'm so glad that I got to bring you on and, and share your your awesome insight with, with my audience. Um, but before we get out of here, I, I wanted to give you a chance to to um, you know plug where people can find more of your work uh, in the college football space. Well, we're, we're at si.com slash college slash Washington. And then, you know, I'm on all social media accounts and we've been around for a good four years and and uh, we've seemed to got, you know, we have it rolling, you know, people know who we are and what we're doing and, and uh, it seems to be working. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be retired now if this wasn't, hadn't turned the corner like it did. I mean, it was really sad to see what happened to Washington two years ago because they had great players and he completely ran the thing into the ground. And when I say he, I mean the previous coach. So I've, I've hung around because it's interesting to watch the rebuild, which wasn't a rebuild. It was just kind of a, a fix. And, and now we're looking at a fantastic football game. So, I mean, it was well worth it. And personally, you know, outside of the success of my website, I, I don't care who wins on Friday. You know, when Washington wins, my website gets a lot more traffic and profitable and all of that. But um, I'm just going to a football game to be totally entertained and, and try and write a good story on Friday. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely glad that you stuck around because it meant that uh, we got to, to have our paths cross. So make sure you guys lock in with Dan and check out his awesome stuff if you want to get a better pulse on the Huskies heading into Friday's matchup. If you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorissports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus. And you can read all of my work covering the Ducks uh, in print, in text, over on ducksdigest.com. But until next time, appreciate you guys so much. Thank you to Dan for coming on. And we will see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.